0: Chapter 7 of Stories of the Wars of the Jews by Charlotte Maria Tucker. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Cliff Stone of Sydney, Australia. Chapter 7 Judea under the Yoke of Syria. The Bright Horseman. The Temple Profaned. The Image of Jupiter. The Mother and Her Seven Sons. Antiochus the Great died, 187 BC, and Seleucus Philopater succeeded. It is during the reign of this monarch that some remarkable events are said to have occurred, as related in the book of Maccabees. Simon, a Benjaminite, having been appointed governor of the temple, some disputes arose between him and Annias, who was high priest at the time. Finding that he was unable to prevail against him whom the Jews regarded as their lawful chief, Simon fled to Apollonius, the governor of Coal, Syria and Palestine, under King Seleucus, and informed him that treasures were laid up in the temple at Jerusalem. This account, as was probably intended, excited the cupidity of the king, and Heliodorus, his treasurer, was dispatched to seize upon the coveted wealth. Heliodorus arrived at Jerusalem and was courteously received by Onias. The treasurer declared to him the purpose of his journey and asked him whether the report were true that much gold was to be found in the temple. anais replied that there was indeed money laid up there for the relief of widows and orphans, but earnestly expostulated against any attempt to carry away from the temple the treasure committed to his trust. Heliodorus had, however, received the positive commands of the king and was resolved to carry them into execution. The high priest was in the deepest distress, and his horror and indignation at the intended robbery and sacrilege were shared by the priests and the people. Women girded with sackcloth mourned in the streets. The priests prostrated themselves before the altar. All, lifting up their hands, implored the Lord to keep safe and sure that entrusted treasure which they were themselves unable to defend. Then, as is related, there appeared before Heliodorus a horse on which sat a terrible rider arrayed in bright armour of glittering gold, and beside him glorious beings who with scourges sorely chastised the mortal who had dared to profane the sanctity of the temple. Overpowered by the vision, Heliodorus fell to the ground. Thick darkness seemed to surround him, and he was carried, fainting and almost dying, from the treasury which he had impiously entered. Seleucus was succeeded in 175 BC by his brother Antiochus Epiphanes, one of the most base and cruel tyrants that ever disgraced the throne. As soon as he was settled in the kingdom, Jason, the unworthy brother of Anias, by underhand means contrived not only to induce the monarch to let him supplant his brother, but to banish Anias to Antioch, where this good man was subsequently murdered. Jason was now high priest and the use which he made of his power was such as might have been expected from his treacherous mode of obtaining it. Honour, patriotism, religion were all sacrificed to his desire to retain the favour of the king. He erected a gymnasium for games, after the fashion of the Greeks whom he sought in all things to imitate. Jason did all in his power to induce his countrymen to abandon the customs of their fathers, to break their covenant with God, and to conform to the manners of the heathen. The services of the temple were abandoned, and corruption spread amongst the people. Retribution soon overtook the wicked Jason, and as he had meted to another it was measured to him again. His brother Menelaus supplanted him in the same manner that he had supplanted Anias, and succeeded to his title and his power, more than emulating him in his impiety and guilt. Jason was not disposed easily to yield up his ill-acquired dignity. Taking recourse to arms, in 171 BC, he marched with a thousand men against his own city, took possession of Jerusalem, drove Menelaus to seek shelter in its castle, and committed great cruelties on such of the citizens as he deemed the partisans of his brother. The just chastisements of the Almighty were now descending upon his backsliding people. Antiochus, hearing of what had occurred, and deeming that the whole Jewish nation had revolted, hastened to Jerusalem with his forces and slew in the devoted city no fewer than four thousand persons, as many were sold as slaves. Conducted by the impious Menelaus, Antiochus forced his way into the temple, plundered it of vast treasures, and polluted the altar of God by offering on it a sow, which was held an abomination by the Jews. Well might the miserable descendants of Abraham think that the Almighty whom they had forsaken had utterly forsaken them now, that His mercy had left them for ever, and that after so many deliverances they were finally given up for their sins to destruction. But there were yet amongst the Jews those who clung to the faith of their fathers and rested with earnest hope on the promises given through the prophets. Jerusalem still was the guardian of the light of truth in a world that lay in darkness, and neither the powers of earth nor hell could prevail to quench it. Dark and fearful indeed was the cloud of tribulation which rested upon Jerusalem. Antiochus, not contented with his late fearful cruelties, sent Apollonius his general to wreak yet further vengeance on the city of David. After having slain great multitudes of the people, and sent away ten thousand captives, Apollonius plundered the town, set it on fire, and demolished the wall. The daily sacrifices ceased in the temple. Jerusalem was deserted. Officers were appointed to compel the miserable Jews to sacrifice to idols. The Samaritans consented to receive an image of the false god Jupiter into their temple on Mount Gerizim, and another, to the horror of all true children of Abraham, was placed in the Temple of Jerusalem. In this period of awful trial, glorious saints and noble martyrs were found ready rather to suffer unto death than to deny the God whom they adored. Such a spirit of devotion as that which had supported Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego when the fiery furnace glowed before them, animated still the faithful servants of the Lord. An example of noble constancy was given by Eleazar, an aged scribe, who was urged by his persecutors to break the law of Moses. The noble old man was scourged to death, bravely enduring to the end. A mother and her seven sons were brought before Antiochus, and threatened with the most fearful tortures should they disobey his unlawful commands. One and all, this devoted family preferred death to apostasy the mother with refined cruelty was made to witness the dying agonies of her sons far from weakening their courage by tears and lamentations the jewish matron exhorted her children to keep faithful to their god cheering them in that awful hour by hopes of a joyful resurrection faith and strength from above supported these glorious martyrs one of the young men exclaimed as he stretched forth his hands for the torture these i had from heaven and for his laws I despise them, and from him I hope to receive them again. One after another six of the sons closed their eyes in death, committing their souls to their creator. One only, the youngest, remained, and even the tyrant appears to have been touched with some compassion for his tender years, for he promised the youth with oaths to make him a rich and happy man if he would turn from the laws of his fathers. When the young Jew refused to hearken to his offers, the king bade the mother, already bereaved of so many children, use her endeavours to save the last by counselling submission and obedience. But she, strong in faith, addressed her son in the Hebrew language, conjuring him, even by his love to her who had borne him, to endure any amount of suffering rather than sin. "'Fear not this tormentor,' she cried, but being worthy of thy brethren, TAKE THY DEATH, THAT I MAY RECEIVE THEE AGAIN IN MERCY WITH THY BRETHREN. WHILE HIS MOTHER WAS YET SPEAKING THESE WORDS, THE NOBLE YOUTH TURNED TO THE EXECUTIONERS. WHOM WAIT YE FOR? HE EXCLAIMED. I WILL NOT OBEY THE KING'S COMMANDMENT, BUT I WILL OBEY THE COMMANDMENTS OF THE LAW THAT WAS GIVEN UNTO OUR FATHERS BY MOSES. AND THOU, HE CONTINUED, LOOKING AT THE TYRANT, SHALT NOT ESCAPE THE HANDS OF GOD, For we suffer because of our sins, and though the living God be angry with us a little while for our chastening and correction, yet shall he be at one with his servants. But thou, O godless man, be not lifted up without a cause, or puffed up with uncertain hopes, lifting up thy hand against the servants of God, for thou hast not yet escaped the judgment of Almighty God, who seeth all things. For our brethren who now have suffered a short pain are dead under God's covenant of everlasting life. But thou, through the judgment of God, shall receive just punishment for thy pride. But I, as my brethren, offer up my body and life for the laws of my fathers, beseeching God that he would speedily be merciful unto my nation. The tyrant, enraged at the fearless words of the youth, put him to death by tortures more dreadful even than those that his brothers had endured. And then the devoted mother, faithful unto death and under a trial more terrible than death, followed her glorious sons by the same brief and bloody path, to the haven of eternal rest prepared for those who, like them, count God's service as dearer than life. The dying prayer of the young martyr had been heard. The Lord was preparing a deliverance for his persecuted people. The Jews, quiet and peaceful as they had shown themselves to be under the sway of their rulers, Assyrian, Persian, and Egyptian, had at length been goaded beyond their power of endurance. Or rather, the Almighty, having compassion on their sufferings, was pleased again, as in the days of old, to raise up for them mighty deliverers. Contemporaneous events. Battle of Zama, 202 BC. Sparta subdued by the Romans, 194 BC. End of chapter 7